welcome to another edition of Thrive Church Online. I'm Marcy and I'm going to be your online host today. If this is your first time joining us, we are so excited that you stopped by. Be sure to text NEW to 604-285-5770 to get your very own Thrive stainless steel water bottle. Parents, don't forget to visit mythrive.info slash online to download today's kids activity. This way, your kids can experience Thrive Church online as well. All right, it's almost time for today's message. Type ready for the word in the chat box so that we can see that you're ready. Yeah, I see that. Awesome, great. And one last request, go ahead and share a selfie of yourself watching from home and share it on your social media with the hashtag ThriveChurchOnline so that we can all see how you're experiencing Thrive Church Online today. All right, grab your coffee and your Bible and let's get ready for today's message. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Thrive Church Online. It is great to have you here, wherever you may be watching the service today. We are so glad that you've joined us. My name is JB, one of the pastors here at Thrive. Gives you great pleasure to welcome you to our worship service here at Thrive Church Online. Here at Thrive, we've got a saying, which is that welcoming is not just what we do, it's who we are. And so with that in mind, would you just welcome one another in your chat room? Maybe you're sitting beside someone today that's watching the service with you, would you give them an air high five or an air hug, or if it's appropriate, give them a real hug and just say, it's so great to have you here today. Let's welcome one another in our chat rooms and wherever you may be watching the, watching the service today. And hey, by the way, if you are new here to Thrive, you are our VIP, you're our guest of honor, and we especially want to welcome you. And if you are new, in fact, all of you who are watching around, would you just, in your chat rooms, would you just welcome our first-time guests today? We just say, oh, it's great to have you here, first-time guests, great to have you here, you're our VIP. Just welcome them, make them feel at home today. So good to have all of you here. And if you are new, then there's a special gift we want to give to you. It's your very own Thrive Church stainless steel water bottle. It's really pretty. I use mine every day. And I want to encourage you to sign up for that. You can go to mythrive.info and you can press the I'm new button and we'd love to connect with you that way. Or you can text new to this phone number 604-285-5770 and we'd love to connect with you that way as well. A huge massive welcome to all of you who are new. A huge massive welcome to all of you who are here uh, and have been here before. It's so great to have you here. Well, today is an amazing day to worship God. And before before we get into the message today, which I'm super excited to give to you, I thought we'd do something a little bit different, a little surprise for you today. When I was a kid, I used to play this game with my sister. We played lots of games, but this one that I'm going to introduce you today is probably my favorite game. And you might be wondering, are we playing games at church? Well, the fact is this has, has something to do with the message I'm going to share with you in just a bit. But this game, I called it Animal Battle Royal. In fact, not, not only did my sister and I play it as kids, but now my son Bradley and I, we play this together as well. And in fact, to show you this Animal Battle Royal, I want to ask my friends, my volunteers, just come up to the stage right now. Could you give them a big hand right now? Let's welcome Michael Gina. 
Hannah, Daniel right now. Let's give them a big hand. Let's welcome them to the chat rooms as well. And uh, they're all going to take their respective corners. Here, I don't know if you noticed this. I don't know if you can see it on the, on the screen. But we've got this one big blanket right here in the center. And we've got just a bunch of stuffed animals in the center of that blanket. And this is called Animal Battle Royal. And, you know, we've got different ones from my home. And these are all pre-approved for Animal Battle Royal by my wife, Charlene, and by my son, Bradley. So we've got Praise Cow. All right, there's Praise Cow. Uh, we've got uh, this hippo right here. All right. Uh, we've got No-No uh, the Worm. Okay, this is Bradley's favorite. Uh, then we've got uh, Randy the Dog. He's a golden retriever with really big ears. Okay. Uh, we've got Kirk the Polar Bear. All right. Mus muscular Bear. Uh, this is Donald Duck, probably the most famous of the guys here. Uh, and lastly, but not least, this is Sharka, who's a stuffed shark. All right. Now, the reason why I'm introducing to you, them to you, because I want you to take your pick. In this Animal Battle Royal, it's a competition between these animals. I want you to see, I want you to predict which one's going to win. You can place your best, sorry, sorry, not your best, you can make your predictions, all right? We're not doing online gambling here, we're doing online church, all right, just to be clear. Uh, but you can just tell, in the chat room, you can say, well, which one do you want? You want the cow to win? You want the shark to win? Whatever the case may be, I'm going to ask my volunteers here to help me here. And what we're going to do is this. The goal of the game is to see which animal is going to remain in the blanket longer than anyone else. The last animal standing is our animal battle royal champion, all right? And so you're going to see these animals flying in the air in just a second, and uh, let's just see who, what, what's going to happen. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. It's, it's starting. It's starting. Whoa, look at that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, okay. there's two more. There's, there's two. There's two more. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Who's the winner? It's No-No the Worm. Congratulations. Congratulations to No-No the Worm. Thank you so much for our volunteers. Thank you so much. Let's give them a big hand. If you chose No-No the Worm, uh, well, big congratulations to you. Your prize is you get online bragging rights. So congratulations for that. Uh, thank you so much to our volunteers. Well, what does this have anything to do with what we're talking about today in today's message? Well, you'll find out in just a bit. But we are re ready to get into the message right now. And so I'm going to invite you right now to grab your Bibles. If you have a Bible, it's time to grab that. Maybe it's a paper Bible like mine. Maybe it's a phone or a device that you download the Bible into. Either way is cool, but I invite you to do that right now. This is just a fun way for us to get our hearts ready for the message right now. And so why don't you hold up your Bible like so, and we're going to make this proclamation together in faith together right now. Why don't you say this with me? If you don't know it, it's on the screen. Let's say it together right now. We're going to say, this is my Bible. It is God's Word. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I open up my heart so that God's Word can come in and change my life and I will never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, if you please turn with me to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus. Easy to find, it's in the first half of your Bible called the Old Testament. Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament, second book of the Bible. We're looking at Exodus. We're gonna start with chapter five today, Exodus chapter five. We're doing a series here at Thrive. It is called Exodus, hope for hard times. And if you are here and you're new to Christianity, you're new to church, we are so thrilled that you're here. We hope that you're going to find that the series is something that you find extremely helpful and encouraging for your life. Maybe you've got questions about the Bible. You're wondering, how does the Bible relate to my life? I hope that this series you're going to find really helps you to see just how relevant the Bible is to our daily lives today. Maybe you're here and you're familiar with the story of Exodus because it's one of the most famous, most fascinating, most important stories ever told 
and maybe you're here, you've read it before, I pray that this series is going to help you see the Exodus story with fresh eyes and to learn lessons that maybe you didn't know before. But we're going to be getting into a message today, starting with Exodus 5 together. And if you have been following along in the series, you know we just started this last week, and we're not just, we're not just studying Exodus once a week on Sundays, but we're actually studying Exodus every single day. And you can do that too. If you're new, uh, you can do that with us together. All you have to do is sign up for my daily Pastor JB game time sharings. And there every morning we will send to you uh, the passage that we're reading that day from the book of Exodus, as well as maybe a couple lessons that I'm learning from it, just in case you weren't really sure what to learn from it yourself. And we're going to be doing that every day for the next several weeks, as well as looking at the book of Exodus here on Sundays. And so turn to your neighbor in your online chat room or the person you're sitting beside, would you give them an air high five and say, the best is yet to come. Tell them that right now. The best is yet to come. Well, it's so good to have you guys here. Today, we are going to episode two of this series called Hope for Hard Times. And see, where we ended off last week is that we have the Israelites. Everyone say the Israelites. And the Israelites, they have been slaves in the country of Egypt for 400 years. So God sends someone to rescue them from slavery. His name is Moses. Last week, we looked at how God especially protected Moses and prepared Moses and set Moses apart for this very special mission of rescuing the Israelites from slavery and to bring them to a land of their own. And together with his brother Aaron, Moses would go back to Egypt and confront the king of Egypt, they call him the Pharaoh, about letting his people go. And so here we go. Look at Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 to 2 with me right now. Would you read in a big, loud voice and help me preach today? What does it it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. So here's Moses and Aaron. They confront Pharaoh with demand to say, God says, the God of Israel says, let my people go. And what is the first thing Pharaoh says in response? Look at verse two. It says, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. If you have your Bibles in front of you, would you underline this very important phrase? Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? See, this is a very 21st century question, actually. See, is that in modern day Canada, just like in ancient Egypt back in Moses' time, we have what we call a pluralistic society. It's where people worship all sorts of different gods. They ascribe to all sorts of different faiths. And ancient Egypt was exactly that way as well. There were literally hundreds upon hundreds of gods that the Egyptians worshipped in their ancient Egypt civilization. And it's, it's this idea that, you know, you could worship whatever God you want, but don't tell me whose God I should worship. Who are you to tell me who, which God to follow? That was the sentiment of the people of Egypt at that time. And that's the, very much the sentiment here in Canada as well. See, back in ancient Egypt, they say that Egyptologists who study the history and the culture of ancient Egypt is that they tell us that there was once even one pharaoh his name was uh, Akhenaten, and he introduced, he, he was the king of Egypt, and he actually introduced a policy of monotheism, this worship of one God. And instead of honoring this Pharaoh, the, 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 history says that the, 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 the Egyptians, they actually branded him a criminal. 
and they denied every contribution he ever made to Egyptian society, basically saying, how dare you tell us to follow your God? And see, it's a similar thing in our day here in modern day Canada. Is, you, know, you often hear people say, oh, how arrogant, how naive, how narrow-minded, how bigoted, how intolerant is it for Christians to say that their God is the only God and Jesus is the only way to heaven? How, how arrogant is that? And if you ever had those kind of thoughts, if you had those kind of questions, I want to encourage you to check out a message that we just did just a few weeks ago on March the 1st as part of our Overcome My Unbelief series. You can go to mythought.info and check out Overcome My Unbelief. And there you're going to find a message which is talking about how can Jesus be the only way to God? And there we aim to give you a really good response to that question. And the long and short of this is that you might think, oh, you know, Christians, they're so narrow-minded to think that their way is the right way. The fact is this, we all in our own way have an exclusive way of looking at religion. But that doesn't mean we can't get along. That doesn't mean that we can't be respectful and loving toward one another. And so I want to encourage you, if you've got questions, about, you know, how can Jesus be the only way to God? You're new to Christianity. I want to encourage you to check out that message later on this week. You know, another reason Pharaoh was offended by the demand that Moses and Aaron were making to say, let the people go, that's what the Lord, the God of Israel says, is because Pharaoh himself was accustomed to being, in a way, his own God is that Pharaoh was accustomed to being the center of his own universe. In fact, in ancient Egypt society, Pharaoh was considered a god himself. People called him the son of Horus, which means he was one of the sons of the major gods that were worshipped in Egypt at that time. And Pharaoh, he was seen as the, the bridge between the human and the divine. He was human in that he would sacrifice to the gods but he was also seen as divine, a son of horse. And so he was seen in a way as a God himself. And see in 21st century Canada, we actually have a similar attitude. We might not call ourselves a God, but the fact is we often live with the attitude that I'm the center of my own universe. It's about what I want. It's about me. It's about my preferences, about what I believe. It's about me believing in myself. You know, and, and instead of worshiping a God, we often, in our own minds, we think, who is the Lord that I should follow him? And rather than you know, following the Lord, we, we often have another kind of idea, you know, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's epitomized by this very famous poem by William Ernest Henry called Invictus, where he says, as he says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Don't, you, don't, don't, don't we love that kind of stuff? You know, you know, I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. We just need a, we just need a hip hop beat behind that. And then we're ready to go to the gym, aren't we? I'm ready. I'm just, oh yeah, I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. And you put some classical music behind that. You put some EDM behind that. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you show a guy with a pretty girl in the passenger seat and you're, you're like, man, I'm ready to buy a Ferrari if I can afford it. Afford it. You know, it's one of those things where we, we think of it as, I'm the master of my fate. I'm the, I'm the captain of my soul. But the truth is this, are you the master of your own fate? Are you the one who determines when you're born and when you die? You know, are, are you the source of every good thing that you have in life? I'm sure you work hard and I'm sure you provide well for your family, but does that make you the master of your soul? You know, I, I'm sure that you, you might work out in the gym or, you know, wherever you can right now with COVID-19 and you've got your six pack abs. Does that mean that you are the captain of your own soul? See, this is the thing. When Moses confronts Pharaoh and says, obey the Lord, the God of Israel, all of a sudden, there's a wrestling match, not just between Pharaoh and Moses, but Pharaoh and this idea of a God who 
would tell Pharaoh what to do. And it's the same wrestling match that you and I go through every day. It's am I going to insist on being the center of my own universe or am I going to humble myself, submit to God and make God the center of my universe? And see, it's funny that as old as the book of Exodus is, it's 3,500 years old. The questions still are relevant for us today. Are we going to submit to God or we're gonna be the center of our own universe. And see, to help Pharaoh answer this question, who is the Lord that I should obey him? God would perform through Moses at least 11 miraculous signs, 10 of which would become known as the plagues of Egypt or the plagues of Exodus. And we're gonna take some time today to understand these plagues. And as we try to understand these plagues, we're gonna learn something very powerful about who God is and something very powerful about how to have hope in hard times. And so if this has been a tough week for you, a tough season for you, then listen to this message. This message is for you as you learn how to have hope in hard times through this message today. Let me give you the title of today's message. And it is intentionally corny. It's corny on purpose so that you can remember it. Are you guys ready for it? All right, here's, here's the corny message title for you right now. It is, don't play games with me. Don't play games with me. Would you turn to your neighbor online in your chat room? Would you tell them that right now? Don't play games with me. Tell them that right now. Tell them in big capital letters, don't play games with me. And maybe add an emoji in there. Don't play games with me. See, we're talking about understanding the Exodus plagues today. So what, what is a plague, by the way? Well, let me give you a few definitions. See, a plague, according to lexico.com, is any contagious disease that spreads rapidly and kills many people. Hey, by the way, is COVID-19 a plague? Well, if you're wondering about that question, before the end of today, I'm going to give you the answer to that question. That, that, that's one definition. There's an, an alternative definition for a plague. is that a plague is an unusually large number of insects or animals infesting a place and causing damage. If that's the definition of a plague, then guess what? Uh, back in my own home, in the Lim family residence, in our little home, uh, about three weeks ago, we experienced a plague. Do you know what that plague was? It was a plague of ants. One day, you know, it was on a Sunday. I remember it was just simply after our, our church service online. You know, I, I know uh, Pastor Charlene, my wife, she goes in the kitchen, she opens the kitchen cabinet, and then she's like, oh! And, and she looks in the kitchen cabinet. It is infested with ants. These ants are all over the kitchen cabinet. They're into our apples. They're into our avocados. They're into our cereal boxes. And we're like, oh my goodness. And you know what I did? I realized something that my cell phone's really handy for. It's really handy for killing ants. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you know this, but, but I, I use an OtterBox, uh, you know, cell phone case, which is supposed to be really heavy duty. And I, I found this is that, you know, I could use this and I go, I, I, I could find an ant go, bah, 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 and oh man, it's awesome at killing ants. It was so good. And in and, and contrast, you know, my wife, Charlene, she had a completely different way of dealing with ants. You know what she did? She did some research and she realized that she can do something, which is she got some peppermint spray, not pepper spray, but peppermint spray. And she started to spray the ants because apparently this beautiful scent of peppermint stops them in their tracks. Just like, I guess, Charlene stopped me in my tracks when, when, because of her scent. Anyway, that, that's, that's a different story. But the fact is this, is that the, 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 you know, the fact that I'm using the cell phone as a hammer to hammer all these ants and she's using a very gentle scent, that, that tells you all about the difference between me and my wife. That's, it, it, that's just, just a really uh, accurate picture of how different we are. I love her, so, love her to death, though. The fact is this, is that the plague is also known as an unusually large number of insects or animals infesting a place and causing damage. A third way that it's described is as a thing causing trouble or irritation. 
Um, plague is not just a noun, it's also a verb. And to plague means to cause continual trouble or distress to something. And see, is there something that's plaguing you today? Maybe it's something physical. Maybe you got a bad back. Maybe you got a headache. Maybe you got, you know, I don't know, an injured foot. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's worry that plagues you today. Maybe it's hopelessness that plagues you today. Maybe it's unforgiveness that plagues you today. If that's you, then I hope this message is helpful for you. See, the, here are the plagues that God would bring to Egypt. And we're going to look at them. Uh, we're going to look at the first nine today. And the final one, the death of the firstborn, we're going to look at that next week. See, as we go through each of these, we're going to show pictures for each one of these nine plagues. I want to ask you this question. Which of these nine plagues would you hate the most? You would just hate to have this one happen to you, all right? Which one would you hate the most? We're looking at the first nine only today. The first is this, turning water into blood. See, Aaron, he stretches out his staff as per God's command, and then all of a sudden, all the waters of Egypt, every stream, every pond, every wooden bucket of water, it all turns into blood. And to get water now, the Egyptians have to dig along the Nile and find new sources of water because all the surface water had turned into blood. That's the first plague that took place. Here's the second one. The second one is frogs that cover the entire land. Any frog fans here? Anyone like frogs? Anyone hate frogs? Or, you know, you're, you're baking your bread and all of a sudden you open up your oven. Oh, and the ribbit, ribbit, all, these, all these frogs come out. You're, you're, you're just about to go to bed. You lift the covers and all these frogs come out of there. That's a very attractive uh, picture right there. You know, number three is gnats, extremely small flying insects, and they're just, they're just everywhere. And, and the Bible says something really interesting about the gnats. It says this, is that for those first two plagues, when it came to water being turned into blood, or when it came to frogs appearing, it says that after Moses and Aaron, by the power of God, accomplished these miracles, it says in the Bible that, that the, the Egyptian magicians were able to do the same thing. They were actually able to replicate the same thing by their secret arts. And see, why would God allow Moses and Aaron to do miracles that the Egyptian magicians could replicate? Have you ever thought of that? Like, why? Like, isn't that just defeating the purpose? Isn't that just redundant? Well, I believe there's some lessons in here. One of the lessons is this. Why is it that God would allow the first two plagues to be things that Pharaoh's Egyptian magicians could do as well? I believe one of the lessons is this, is that when it comes to occult practices, you know, things such as divination, fortune-telling, Ouija boards, tarot cards. There is a certain limited power that can be experienced through what we call the occult, these kind of practices. But you need to know something about the power of the occult. The one, num- number one, the power of the occult cannot match the power of God. And that, that's, that's one lesson. You see that the magicians, they're able to do the first two miracles just like Moses and Aaron by the power of God could. But then after the second one, they can't do the, yes, they, they, they can't do the rest. That's the first thing. The second is that the power of the occult only makes things worse, not better. See, notice the Egyptians, they, couldn't, they could make more blood. They could cause more frogs to appear, but they couldn't get rid of the frogs and they couldn't turn the blood back into water. And so, you know, and you're going to find with occult practices that when you engage in them, there's power there, but it almost never makes things better for the long term. Usually it just makes things worse. Number three is that in the occult, there's a limited power, but no peace is that you might find, and I found this as well, is, you know, I've had, I've had friends who were engaged in the occult. We've had even people in the church who've been engaged in occult practices before they, were to, they came to Jesus. And, and, you know, they found this, is that even though there was a certain level of power that they experienced practicing tarot cards and Ouija boards, that they had no peace in the process of it. it they were anxious, they were scared, they were fearful. But when they came to Jesus, they experienced a power that was far greater than anything that their occult practice 
practices had ever allowed them to encounter. And not just a power that was greater, but a peace that had eluded them before. And see, that's, that's the power of God. That's the peace of God. And I believe that's one of the reasons why God allows the first two miracles to be things that the magicians can do so that they could see the limitations of what they can do. And see, that's the third plague. It's the plague of gnats. Fourth plague is what? Flies. Flies. In fact, look at that fly. That, that fly looks like it's praying, doesn't it? Look at that. That's how you know if it flies from God. It, it, it looks like it's praying. Exodus 8.22 says it this way. It says, and in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, that's where the Israelites live, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. See, what's going on? Starting with the fourth plague, with the flies, God begins to make a distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians, is that now these plagues that are coming upon Egypt are affecting the Egyptians, but they're not affecting the Israelites. And so in the rest of Egypt, you have all these Egyptians dealing with these very annoying flies, and you can't, you can't go outside. You can't you know, have a barbecue outside anymore. You can't run outside anymore. You can't, kids can't play outside. Just anointing. It's everywhere in Egypt. But then when you go to Goshen, where the Israelites are, it's a no-fly zone. It's just there's not a fly to be seen. And what's God doing? He's making a distinction. And in many ways, it's a picture of the kind of protection that you have in the Lord when you have a relationship with him is that there are certain things, very important ways that he protects you. And that's the picture of what will be ahead, what Jesus Christ would do for us. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. But you got, you got flies, you got gnats, you got frogs. Wouldn't this be a great time to own a pest control company? You know, if you're living in ancient Egypt and you had pest control pumping, man, you, you, would be, you would be rolling in it. You'd have so much business. You, you, you want to own stock in a pest control company. Speaking of owning stock, let's look at the fifth one, livestock. See, what happens here is that the livestock of the Egyptians are dying off. The livestock of the Israelites are A-OK. And so you're going to notice that generally speaking, as you go from plague to plague, these plagues are getting more severe. They're going from minor irritations to problems that are now really impacting life. And, you know, number six is boils. And, you know, because we didn't want to scare you, we thought we'd show a Lego photo of boils instead. You know, physical health taking a toll now, painful boils appearing on the people of Egypt. Number seven, hail. See, God warns Pharaoh that a hailstorm, unlike anything Egypt has ever seen, is coming, it's going to hit Egypt, and that anyone caught outside in the storm is going to die. And so, because God loves humanity, he tells Pharaoh, make sure you get all the human beings inside, get them under shelter, every person, get them under shelter, but some people don't listen. And as a result, they're actually, this is the first time among the plagues where you hear about loss of life, where people actually die because they didn't heed that warning. And then eighth, the locusts, after the hail, you know, you know, just basically brings so much destruction to the land, there are locusts who start to eat everything that remains. And then finally, number nine, darkness total darkness for three days where no one can see anyone. You have to stay in your homes. It's a little bit like, I guess, what people are experiencing a bit right now, except you got electricity. And see, what, what's going on? See, these are the plagues that God was bringing upon Egypt. And upon hearing about these plagues, you might have some questions. The first is this, is that these, did these plagues really happen? Is this real? Is this history? You know, some will say, you know, the story of Exodus is just a myth. 
It's, it's, it, there's no historical basis for it all. And for the longest time, there's modern day scholars will talk about, you know, there's no historical basis, archaeology doesn't support it, but now more and more, there is a growing amount of evidence historically and archaeologically to show that the Exodus story is true. You know, another thing is this, some people will try to explain these plagues as, you know, these are just natural phenomena that you will see in Egypt, you know? You know, like there, there's something about the water in the Nile that actually turns red naturally. You know, you know there, there's lots of locusts, you know, there's lots of gnats. Well, you know, even if that's the case, do you really think that if these are just normal happenings, that it would convince Pharaoh in any kind of way to change from his position of not letting his people go? The fact is this, if, if these are things that happen every year, you know, if livestock die every year, if the firstborn die every year, he'd be like, you know what, what's the problem? You know, Moses, you're not giving me anything new. You know, this is just normal life for me. He wouldn't let the people go. And so that, that argument doesn't really make much sense either. Also this, the fact that these plagues were actually effective in ultimately persuading Pharaoh to let the people go shows that these weren't normal happenings. These weren't just random occurrences. But the fact that when you consider that they happened in such a short time, one after another, not randomly, but at the command of Moses as per God's instruction, that you could say, this is not just randomness. These are not just coincidences but this is God's hand at work. But you know, maybe, well, JB, I, I don't believe in miracles. Here, let me ask you this question. What's the greatest miracle in the Bible? What's the greatest miracle? What do you think it is? Let me tell you what it is. The greatest miracle in the Bible is Genesis 1-1, the very first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And see, there is so much great scientific evidence that points the idea that the universe had a beginning. And the best explanation for that is that God created. And it is the most reasonable explanation I would submit to say that God was the beginning, was the, was the one who began this universe, who made something out of nothing through something called the Big Bang. Now, if there is a good rational basis for believing that God made this universe, that there's, it's good rational basis to do so, then you know what? It's not irrational to say or to believe that these much smaller miracles that you see, water turning into blood, a swarm of locusts taking over land, it's not too, it's not, it's not irrational to believe that God could do something like that as well. If you believe that, say amen. See, you might be you know, asking, well, it doesn't matter. How could a loving God send such horrible plagues on a nation? Well, let's talk about the purposes of the plagues. See, there were three big purposes that the plagues were trying to serve. And the first one you probably know already is that to put pressure on Pharaoh to let the Israelites go and be free from slavery. That's the first, the first purpose, the most obvious purpose. But there's actually two more purposes that God had in bringing the plagues. Purpose number two was to punish Pharaoh and the Egyptians for their past injustices and idolatry. Would you read with me Genesis 15, 13 to 14? This is about 500 years before Moses' time. This is what God says to a guy called Abraham, who's the father of the Israelite nation. And this is what he says. He says, then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possession. See what's going on is that about 500 years before Moses was born, God speaks to Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation, and says, hey, I want to let you know your descendants, there will come a time when your descendants for 400 years will be slaves in a foreign land, but I will punish that nation for keeping you that way as slaves. And see, let me tell you this, God would not be a just or loving God if he didn't do anything about evil and injustice. You see, you're a parent. 
and you say you're a loving parent, but would you, you know, if you never get angry because of injustice that happens against your child, if you never get angry because your child got hurt unnecessarily, if you never want to do anything about injustice, then you know what? That's not you being a loving parent. That's you being an uncaring parent. And the Bible says that God is a loving father. And you're going to find that God, his wrath against sin is a byproduct of his love for humanity. Is that because God is loving, he has wrath. But a lot of people think love and wrath are opposites. They're, they're diametrically opposed. They're actually hand in hand. Is that God has wrath because God is loving. In fact, God is so holy, he can't stand sin. He can't let sin stand in his presence in any kind of way. And it's because he's a God of love at the end of the day. And see, God's wrath is not proof that God is not loving. It's actually proof that God is loving. Amen. And see, you know, about 400 years of slavery, 400 years of the Egyptians oppressing the, uh, you know, the, the, the Israelites. And see, God, for 400 years, he hasn't done anything yet. Why? Is because God's slow or he's negligent? He doesn't care? No, it's because God was patient with the Egyptians because he loves the Egyptians too. He's waiting for them to come to their senses. He's waiting for them to repent. And that's why 2 Peter 3, 9 says it this way. Read it with me. What does it say? It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is patient. God is patient. God is patient, but he won't wait forever. And that's why the plagues come after 400 years. Finally, God says, enough is enough. I need to do something about this injustice. Enough is enough. I need to do something about this idolatry. And see, the, the 10 plagues were basically 10 chances that God was giving to Pharaoh to repent and say, you've got to let these people out now. And it's almost like a parent who says, okay, son, I'm going to count to 10. And with every number I count, it's going to get worse for you. But if I count to none, you're really going to be sorry. One, two, three, and he goes on and on. What is that? That's, the plagues are in very many ways God counting to ten for Pharaoh. And Egypt is testing God. Pharaoh is testing, oh, is he really going to do something? He doesn't really mean it, does he? He's, he's not really serious, right? And see, in fact, the word plague means continually frustrate or trouble or irritate. You could even say that long before God plagued the Egyptians, for 400 years, the Egyptians were plaguing God with their injustice and their idolatry. And now God was finally in his patience responding. So that's the purpose, the second purpose of the plagues. There's a third purpose of the plagues. Is that, that is this, is to let Pharaoh, the Egyptians, and even the Israelites know that the Lord is God and he's greater than all gods. See, the, the ancient Egyptians, they were incredibly religious, incredibly religious. They worshiped hundreds upon hundreds of gods. In fact, you know, historians, Egyptologists, they say that, in fact, the ancient Egyptians, they had a different god for every hour of the day. And so 1 p.m., there was a God to worship. 2 p.m., there's another God you could worship. 3 p.m., there's another God you could worship. One for every hour of the day. They believed that by doing good things for these gods, that these gods would do good things for them. And the goal was to placate them. The goal was to appease them. The goal was to, to win their favor in this lifetime. And ancient Egyptians, they, all, they also believed that when you die, you stand before this council, this tribunal of 42 deities, 42 gods. And, and that's why there's an Egyptologist called Richard Wilkinson. 
And he writes this about Egyptian religion at that time. He said that for many, if not most Egyptians, the Egyptian gods were the breath of life itself. And it is only to the extent that we understand these ancient deities that we can understand the nature of ancient Egyptian culture and society, the lives and hope for afterlives of the Egyptians. See, when God brought about the 10 plagues, he wasn't just trying to persuade Pharaoh to let his people go. He wasn't just punishing Pharaoh and the Egyptians for injustices, but he was doing one more thing. He was showing Pharaoh, the Egyptians, and all the Israelites that the Lord is God and he's greater than all gods. And that these other gods that they worship actually aren't really gods at all. For example, the Egyptians, they worship this one god called Happy. Yeah, that's right. It's called Happy. And, and Happy was considered to be the god of the Nile who controlled the flooding of the Nile. And see, by turning the Nile River into blood, the first plague, what was God doing? God was showing that it's not Happy who controls the waters. It's the Lord who controls the waters. And with another plague, the plague of darkness. See, the Egyptians, they worshipped a god called Ray who they considered to be the God of the sun. And by keeping all of Egypt in darkness for three days, what was the Lord showing? He was showing, actually, it's not Ray who controls the light. The light switches with the Lord. And see, with, with the Egyptians, you know, they also worshiped a goddess called Heket. And Heket was known as the goddess of fertility. And Heket was represented by the frog. And in fact, in pictures like this one, she's actually shown with the face of a frog. And so in the second plague, when God causes frogs to run wild over Egypt to land on people's beds, then he kills all the frogs such that the, the, the whole land reeks of frogs. God was essentially saying, where's your frog God now? See, it's like there's a battle role, not an animal battle role, but there's, it's almost like this battle role between the Lord and these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Egyptian gods. And at the end of the day, at the end of these plagues, there is one standing and it's the Lord who's standing. Amen. And see, it's as if God is saying, you know what? You're not going to be happy worshiping happy. You're going to be happy when you worship me. You'd have peace when you worship me because these other gods, they aren't, they're, they're not real. They're not in control. I'm the Lord and I'm the one in control. And so worship me. That's why Psalm 135, five and six says, it always says, I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas, in all their depths. You know, maybe you're like, you know, those Egyptians are really silly, bowing down to some frog-faced idol. What in the world? But this is the thing is that sometimes we can be inclined to do the same thing, just in a different way. Are you putting your hope, for example, in something or someone other than God today? You know, the Bible calls that idolatry. And for as long as you put your hope in that person and you make that person define you or that thing define you, whether it's money or sex or comfort or how many Facebook likes you get on social media, the fact is you will never be happy. You will never be satisfied because there's a God-sized hole in your heart that only the Lord and only the Lord alone can fill. And so you got to let him fill that God-sized hole. If you believe that, say amen. Remember Pharaoh's question. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And see, God's purpose in bringing the plagues was to answer that question. Let me tell you who I am. See, no less than six times in these passages about the plagues, God says that you may know or that they may know that I'm the Lord. See, God was revealing who he is through these plagues. And so let me ask this question. Who is God then? See, based on the story of the plagues, what can we surmise God to be? 
See, this is so important because you're going to find this. And, and if you don't write anything else down, if you don't get anything else out of this message, get this today. Let me tell you what the biggest key to having hope in hard times is. The biggest key. The biggest key to having hope in hard times is knowing who God is and having a relationship with him. Knowing who God is and having a personal, loving relationship with him. See, um, let me tell you this. Hope is not just a function of your feelings. It's not just you hear a nice song and then you have hope in your heart. Or you watch an inspiring movie, now you've got hope in your heart. See, hope even more, real lasting hope, depends on what you know. And see, for example, when the Bible in Romans 1, 8, 28 says, you know, and we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. You know what? Knowing that God is in control and that through every circumstance he is working for your good, you know what that does? That gives us hope. It's what we know that gives us hope. You know, when you know that for Christians, when you die, you don't leave home, you go home. Knowing that, knowing that that is the way God works, that gives us hope. Amen. It's what you know that brings hope. And very often the reason why we're so hopeless is because we have believed a lie about ourselves or a lie about God or a lie about what life is all about. And as a result, we're miserable. But when you know who God is, you know him personally, and you've got a relationship with him, all of a sudden the byproduct of knowing who he is is hope. Amen. That's why you need to know who he is. So what can we know about God based on these Exodus plagues that he can give us hope in hard times? I'm going to end with this today and hope you take some good notes. I want to tell you to end today by telling you four things to know about God from the Exodus plagues. And maybe today you find yourself, you're plagued by fear, you're plagued by worry, you're plagued by frustration, you're plagued by hopelessness, you're plagued by unforgiveness, you're plagued by rage. I want you to remember these four things today. Number one, four things we learn about God in the Exodus plagues. Number one is the Lord is sovereign over all creation, over all his creation. That over every thing he's made, over everyone he's made, including you and me, that he is sovereign. And what does sovereign mean? Sovereign means you possess ultimate power, supreme power. It means that you are the one who gets to decide. You are in control. And see, I don't know about you, but I find this. When I know that God is sovereign, then I can know that whatever situation I go through, God is greater than that situation. Amen. Because God is sovereign, whatever situation you may find yourself in today, no matter what it is, marriage problems, health issues, financial difficulties, future uncertainties, there is nothing that compares to God because those problems are not sovereign. They don't possess ultimate power over my life. God possesses ultimate power over my life. And therefore, God is greater, God is control, and I have hope. Amen. Amen. And so that's why God is greater than losing a job. God is greater than losing a loved one. God is greater than going through a time when you don't really know what to do, but you know God is in control. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is in control. God is in control. And see, another thing, because God is sovereign, don't play games with God. Don't play games with me. Don't play games with God. See, Pharaoh was famous for playing games with God. We see it over and over in the plague passages. And, you know, if, let's look at some of the games that he would play. And as we're looking at some of these games that Pharaoh would play, let me ask this question. Do you play these same games with God? The first one is clue number one, that you play games with God. And that is that you know what God wants you to do, but you keep delaying and doing it. You know that God wants you to maybe do, adjust that relationship in some kind of way, but you delay in doing it. It's called the waiting game. It's where you just keep on delaying. You keep, oh, maybe tomorrow, maybe next year. Or maybe I'll get baptized, you know, next time when, when our church has a new building. Or, you know, maybe, you know, I'll, you know, maybe I'll, I'll quit that habit, you know, next year. And, and it's, we, we know what God wants us to do, but we just keep on delaying. That's called the waiting game. Or another one is we, we say we'll do something, but we don't ever do it. 
and, and you know, that, that's another, another you know, version of the waiting game. That's clue number one. You know, and you're going to find this is the more we delay in obeying God, one of the things we learn from the plagues is that the worse and more painful it gets for us and those closest to us. And, and see, God, his commands are not prison bars to restrict our freedom. And in fact, they are like guardrails to protect us on the highway so we don't fall into a ditch. God's commands were made to give us life, not to take it away. That's clue number one. Clue number two that we might play games with God is you prefer to negotiate with God instead of obeying him. I call this one, let's make a deal. Right? It's where you know, Pharaoh loved to play this one. See, Moses says, let my people go into the desert to worship God. At first, Pharaoh says, no. But then after a little bit of pressure, Pharaoh says, okay, fine, fine, fine. He's got, he's got flies all around him. Okay, okay, uh, okay, just worship here, all right? Offer your sacrifices here in Egypt. You stay here. You don't go anywhere. You just stay here. What, what do you do? He's trying to negotiate with God. And God is like, uh-uh, this is not negotiable. And, he finds, okay, and then finally, he's, he, like later on, he's, he's removing a locust from his neck. All right, fine. You know, the men can go, but the women and the children stay. Okay, men, you go and worship whatever you need to worship, but the women and children stay. And God's like, no, not negotiable. And then later on, he's peering through the darkness because he can't see anything. And he's like, Moses, are you there? Can you tell God something? I've got another offer, final offer, okay? The women, the men, the children, they can all go, but your livestock need to stay, all right? Keep the livestock here, but the rest can go. And God's answer again is, don't play games with me. Don't negotiate with me. And you know, do we do the same thing? You know, God, forgive me my sins, but the rest of my life is mine to keep. That's one way we negotiate with God. We give him one part, but we keep another part. You know, I'll give you Sunday mornings, but everything else in my life, that's mine to decide. That's mine to figure out. That's mine to live. I'll do whatever I want. You know, God, you can forgive my sins and you can have my heart, but it's my body. I'll do what I want with it. You know, or God, I'll go to church, but don't, ask, don't, don't tell me to tithe. See, what is that? We're negotiating with God. We're, we're, we're dealing for partial obedience, which isn't obedience at all. And, and see, the, another negotiation tactic, God, here's my spiritual resume. Let me into heaven. And, it does, and God's like, you know, it doesn't work that way. You can't earn your way here. You, no matter how much you try to do, you can never get to where I am. And so don't try to bargain and negotiate your way into heaven. You can't. That's clue number two is let's make a deal. Clue number three Clue number three is you keep testing God by making something else your number one focus and hope. You're trying to fill that God-sized hole in your heart with something that's not God-sized. That's another clue that you're playing games with God. You're testing his patience. Clue number four, you rarely give God credit when good things happen, but you quickly blame God when bad things happen. Have you done that before? I used to do that a lot. I was so immature. I'm still immature, but I was even more immature back then. I would play the blame game. Oh, I'm eating my lunch. Oh, I bite my lip. Oh, God, what are you doing? And God's like, you don't, I didn't do anything. That's you, man. And this is the thing. It's like, we, we actually, we, 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 we stub our toe and they're like, oh God, what's your problem? And, and, and you know, it's just, we, we play the blame game. And every time something good happens, we attribute it to ourselves. Every time something bad happens, we blame it on God. Have you done that before? You know, let me ask this, for, for example, let me ask this question. When was the last time you went through a day and you heard that there wasn't a single plane crash around the world? Did you go, oh, praise God. God, you're so good. Or is it something where you hear of one single plane crash and the world goes, oh, where is God? Where is God? See, what is that? That's giving God no credit for the good, but blaming him for everything that's bad. That's you playing games with God. Do you do that? I, I used to do that. I try not to do that now, but sometimes, you know, it's one of those things where we have to check ourselves. Are we playing games with God? Clue number five, last clue. You seek God only in the hard times. You know, that's what Pharaoh would do. He'd say, okay, 
I'm under all this duress, all, all this pressure. Okay, I'll let the people go. But then the moment relief came, he hardens his heart and goes, eh, maybe not. He goes back to being the center of the universe. He's testing God's patience. Do you do that? That you only seek God when it's hard, when you need something, but when things are good, you're just like, ah, oh, I'm good. So here's the thing. If any of these clues applies to you, then you might be very well playing games with God. And the thing is this. There's no hope in playing games with God because at the end of the day, you never win. But the fact is this. Hope comes when we recognize, God, you are sovereign. You are greater than my situation. You are greater than me in my ways. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to humble myself and follow you and trust that you're writing a greater story than anything that I could write for myself. When you take that position, then all of a sudden, hope comes. Amen. Amen. That's the first thing we learn about God. Number two, the Lord is patient in his wrath. We learn from the Exodus plagues that God waited 400 years before he brought punishment to the Egyptians. It's not because God is slow. It's because God was giving Egypt time to repent. And see, in the same way, God is patient with us, but he won't wait forever. Since God is patient, don't test his patience and keep delaying coming to God. If there's sin in your life, you can come to God and say, today, God, I confess my sin and thank you that you sent Jesus Christ for me so I could be forgiven. Don't test God's patience. God is patient, but he won't wait forever. And here's one other thing. is Because God is patient, since God is patient, since God is forgiving, then let me ask this question. Who is someone that you need to extend patience to today? Maybe someone in your home. Maybe someone's been getting on your nerves, but you need to learn, I need to learn patience like God is patient. Just as God is patient in his wrath, I need to be patient and not lose it so easily. I need to be patient and forgive that person. Since God forgave me, I need to forgive them as well. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need to be patient. I need to be patient. Amen. Number three, another thing we learn about God from the Exodus plagues, the Lord is faithful to his promises. See, 500 years before Moses was even born, God already made a promise to Abraham and said, your descendants are going to be slaves for 400 years, but I'm going to deliver them. I will be faithful to that promise. And through the plagues, we learn that God is faithful to every promise he makes. He does exactly what he says he will do. Every time he warns Pharaoh of what's going to happen, it actually happens. It's because God is someone you can count on to keep his word. Let me ask this question. Are you someone that you can be counted on to keep your word? Since God is a God who's faithful to his promises, Let's be people who keep our word as well. And when we don't know what else to do, praise God that even when we're faithless, God remains faithful and we can hang on to his promises and know that he is in control. Lastly, number four, what do we learn about God from these plagues? Number four is this, the Lord is committed to rescuing his people. You know, when you read the story of Exodus, I want you to think of it as almost like a hostage situation where Israel has been held hostage for 400 years. And it's through the plagues that God is finally saying, I know you're in there. All right, I'm going to count to 10. And after 10, we're going in. Are you ready? One, two, three, four, Five, and he counts six, seven, eight, nine. And what does he do? God is on a rescue mission to rescue the people that he loves. And in the same way, what God does for the people of Israel in Exodus is actually a picture of what God does for you and for me through Jesus Christ. You know, let me ask you this question. A lot of people ask, you know, is COVID-19 a plague from God? Just like the locusts, just like the boils, is that a plague from God? Let me answer that question right now. See, long before COVID-19 was making 
you know, all these headlines and wreaking havoc around the world, there was a much more serious virus that was destroying our lives. That virus is called sin. And, and here's the thing. Sin is a spiritual virus that affects all of us. And, you know, whereas approximately, they say about 2.6 million people in the world right now have tested positive for coronavirus. 100% of people in the world, that's all 7.8 billion of us, we've all tested positive for the virus called sin. Every time you think a selfish thought, you've tested positive for sin. Every time you've not done that good thing that you know you should have done, you've tested positive for sin. All of us, 100% of us, have tested positive for this virus called sin. And here's the thing, whereas so far, they say only only about 7%, thank God, only 77% of those who get coronavirus have actually died so far. The mortality rate for those who sin, 100%. Those of us who have the sin virus, which is all of us, we are all destined to die because of our sin. That's why the Bible says the wages of our sin is death. What kind of death? Not just physical death, but spiritual death. It's separation from God, such that because of our sin, we can't have anything to do with God, and God can't have anything to do with us. We are separate from God forever, so we can't have God now, we can't have God later, we can't have God for eternity. And see, whereas we're still trying to find a cure for the coronavirus, still there's no vaccine, not yet, praise God that there's a cure for a much greater virus called sin, and that cure, his name is Jesus Christ. See, how is Jesus the cure for this virus called sin? Is that whereas the plagues were God's punishment on Egypt, the Bible says that all the punishment that we deserve for this virus called sin, all the ways that we deserve to be punished for the ways we've done wrong, the ways we've hurt God, the ways we've hurt others, all of that wrath that God felt as a loving God, he placed it all not on us, but he placed it on Jesus. Romans 3.25 says it this way. Read with me a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, for God sent Christ Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to end all God's anger against us. He used Christ's blood and our faith as the means of saving us from his wrath. In this way, he was being entirely fair, even though he did not punish those who sinned in former times, for he was looking forward to the time when Christ would come and take away those sins. In other words, all of our sin and all of God's wrath that God felt toward our sin, he put it all into one big ball and he threw it on Jesus at the cross. And Jesus all of a sudden took on every kind of punishment that we were supposed to experience because of our sin. Why? Because God loves you and me. Why? Because he loves his creation. He loves you. He loves you with an everlasting, unconditional love. So much so that he would rather die than be without you. So much so that he would rather die than even be without the chance to be with you. That's why he sent Jesus Christ for you. And so is COVID-19 a plague that God sent just like he sent the plagues from Exodus? No. See, I don't believe God allowed coronavirus and every time coronavirus hits someone, he's like, oh, kill, 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 kill. Or I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm wrathful, kill, kill. See, no, Jesus has already taken that wrath. And we can't know all the reasons why God allows COVID-19 being a sovereign God, but we do know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and that he's writing a greater story than anything that we could write ourselves. And so since God is sovereign over creation, since God is patient in his wrath, since God is faithful to his promises, since God is on a mission to rescue us, let's not delay, but let us humble ourselves before God. Let's submit to him. Let's surrender to him. Let's give our issues to him. Let's follow in his footsteps. If you believe us, say amen.
since God is on a mission to rescue his loved ones, those who are lost, those who are astray, those who are feeling hopeless today, then I want to encourage you one more thing is to join God on this rescue mission. You can join God on this rescue mission when you, you know, offer to pray for someone, when you invite someone to church, when you share your faith or your story with someone else, when you just love your neighbor in a way that Jesus would love your neighbor. You know, for example, this past Friday was the beginning of Ramadan where they say about 1.2 billion Muslims will be praying all throughout this time until May 23rd. And I want to encourage you, Thrive Church, is that during this time, I want to encourage you to pray for your Muslim friends, for your Muslim neighbors. Pray that as they try to seek God in this time, that they would actually discover the love and the grace and the power of Jesus Christ, even in this time. See, because we know that the Lord is sovereign over creation, because he's patient in his wrath, because he's faithful to his promises, because he's committed to rescuing us, because we know that this is the God we serve, then we can say there's hope for tomorrow. We can say the best is yet to come. See, it's hard to be plagued by worry when you know that God is sovereign. It's hard to be plagued by rage when you know that God is patient in his wrath. It's hard to be plagued by frustration when you know that God is faithful to the very end and he's working things out for good. It's hard to be hardened in our heart when we know just how much God has done for us by sending Jesus for us simply because we matter to him. And so with that in mind, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to God in this place. Today we've been learning that hope comes from knowing who God is and having a personal relationship with him. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, the question I have for you is, 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 do you know who God is? Not just from a distance, not just academically, not just in your head, but, but do you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ? See, the reason why God sent Jesus Christ was he knew that no matter what good we've ever done, no matter how good we think we are, we can never get to God on our own, no matter how hard we try. But because God loved us, didn't want to be apart from us, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven. And if you're here today and you're watching the service and you realize that there's stuff in your life, sin in your life that you need to come clean about and ask God to forgive you about, I want to give you this opportunity to receive that forgiveness. Nothing that you earn, it's simply God's unconditional love for you. And if you want to receive that forgiveness, it's as simple as praying a prayer that I'm going to want to lead, that I would like to lead you in right now. If that's you and you know you realize you need God's forgiveness, maybe for something you did last night, something you said this morning, I want to just lift your hand to God right now. Don't worry about what your neighbor's doing. Don't worry about anything else right now. Just make this your moment with God and make it count. If you realize you need God's forgiveness for sin, maybe it's not just something last night, maybe it's from a whole history of stuff. I'm here to let you know that there's no mistake, no collection of mistakes, no history of mistakes in your life that can ever match the love and the power of God in your life. And so I want to encourage you right now just to lift your hand to God as a response to him. Let the height of your hands reflect how much you need him. I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. And say, dear Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross to pay for my sins, that you rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, please come in, forgive me of my sins, and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
If you prayed that prayer just now and you meant that from your heart, would you just maybe just touch that button, raise your hand, or or maybe you know you don't see that button, but you can you know text the word believe to 604-285-5770. There's a special gift that we want to give to you just to encourage you on that because the Bible says if you prayed that prayer from your heart, that you are forgiven of your sins. You are a child of God, you are a citizen of heaven, you've got a brand new start that no one could ever take away from you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Well, God, can you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place? right now? Can you give God some thanks in this place today? Can we give God some credit in this place today? Oh, come on. You can do better than that. Give God all of your praise today. Amen. A big congratulations to those who prayed that prayer. Don't forget to press that button or to text us and let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, I'm going to ask right now, Gina, she's going to come. She's going to lead us in a song. After that, we're going to lead you in another prayer. Let's give this time to God. Let's give our very best to him.
you lift your hands to God right now? Wherever you're watching the service, let the height of your hands reflect how much you need Him today. Let the height of your hands reflect how much you need God in this time, in this season of your life. Let, your, let the height of your hands reflect how much praise you want to give Him today, your worship. Let it be a reflection of you just surrendering to God, maybe an issue or a problem that you don't have control over, you don't have a solution for it. But knowing because God is sovereign, He is greater, and He's in control, you can give that to God today. Let the height of your hands reflect you, just welcoming God into your life, to say, God, would you work in more ways in my life, or even more than before. And maybe you're here today and you realize that this message we've been talking is for you. You realize that maybe in some ways you've been playing games with God and you just want to come before God and just like the song says and say, God, I want to live from now on to worship you. Not to make me the center of the universe, but to treat you as who you are. You are the Lord who is sovereign over all creation. You are the God who's faithful to every promise you make. You're the God who's patient in your wrath and you're a God who rescued me. I want you to worship God right now from your heart. Just lift your hands to God, lift your heart to God, lift your life to God. In your own words, just start talking to God right now. Don't wait for me to stop talking. You just start talking to God right now. Right now, make this moment count. Just start talking to God. Don't worry about your neighbors, what they're doing right now. You just start talking to God from your heart today. He loves you. He's listening. He's here right now. Just give him your cares today. Give him your burdens today. Give him your worship today. Give him your thanks today. Give him your questions today. Give him everything today. Just worship God. Worship God today. Worship Jesus today. That's it, church. Come on, give him more. Give him more. Give him everything today. Praise you, God. That's it. Just talk to God. He's listening. He's here right now. He loves you. 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 Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. If you're here today and you realize that you need to stop playing games with God and you want to get serious with God in this season, not take yourself too seriously, but to take God seriously because He is who He is in your life. If you want to do that, why don't you just lift your hands to God and let me just lead you in this prayer right now. Just repeat after me and say, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus thank you for showing me today, thank you for showing me today that, you that you are sovereign, sovereign over, all over all creation. You are, you are patient. patient in your wrath. You are faithful to all your promises. And you are committed to me, to rescuing me, to loving me, to saving me, to being with me, to protecting me. Thank you today that you love me the way that you love me with an unconditional, unfailing, unchanging, unlimited love. Thank you that I can hang on to you in the middle of every storm. That whatever's plaguing me is nothing compared to you. Worry, nothing compared to you. Unforgiveness, nothing compared to you. You know, anger, nothing compared to you. Uncertainty, nothing compared to you. God, I worship you today. Thank you that because you are greater, that the best is yet to come. I welcome you. I worship you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, give God a big hand to be shouting this place right now. Oh, come on. 
He is who he is for a reason. So just worship God because he loves you. Worship God because he's the sovereign over all creation. Worship God because he's patient. Worship God because he's faithful. Worship God because you'll never find anyone in the world or in all the universe who's more committed to you than the Lord is. That's how much he loves you. Praise God. Well, what an amazing time we've had together today to worship God together. We're gonna end today by doing a couple things. The first is if you call throughout church your home church, or just believe in the work that God is doing here, I wanna encourage you to do a couple things. The first is let's give our faithful tithes. That's the, our first, the first part of our income. And the next is let's give our generous offerings. And that is to give above our tithe. And I wanna encourage you to do that. We don't pass out offering plates, obviously, during this time when we're not having on-site services. But wherever you are, you can go to mythrive.info and give. Knowing that when we equip you know, the church for this mission, when we seek God's kingdom first, he adds what he adds everything we need and so let's give to God first knowing he's going to build his church through us we're going to hand the time back to our online host Marcy have a wonderful week everybody God loves you you are amazing let me just pray really quick right now for you right now Heavenly Father thank you so much for every single person who's here today who's watching this service and because you died and rose again thank you that each and every one of us can say no matter what else we're facing in life today is that the best is yet to come and so we pray all of your blessing your presence your protection, your favor, healing, comfort, strength, joy, wisdom to fill every single person here until we next meet again. We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a wonderful week. Going to hand it back to Marcy, our online host. Have a great week, everybody. God bless you. Thanks for that powerful message, Pastor JV. Before I let you go, let's check out a few announcements. If this is your first time here, be sure to let us know by texting NEW to 604-285-5770 and we will mail you a Thrive stainless steel water bottle. If you made the decision to receive Jesus Christ, let us know by texting BELIEVE to 604-285-5770. We have prepared a gift that we will mail to you as well. Mother's Day is happening on Sunday, May 10th. We invite you to join us here online to celebrate Mother's Day together. Small group is a place where you can get connected. We meet regularly to encourage one another on Zoom. Sign up at mythrive.info. That's all the announcements for today. Don't forget to give your faithful tithes and generous offerings. Have a wonderful week, everyone, and we'll see you again next week at Thrive Church Online. Bye!